Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardish, ready here to talk some Las Vegas Raiders ahead of the 2022 season. And joining me, as always, none other than PFS finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, we're in the AFC West, man. Over halfway done. We knocked out the Chiefs naturally uh, right as the you know podcast and my article got released. They went ahead and re-signed Jarek McKinnon. Uh, not completely ruining our running back conversation, but certainly throwing a wrench into it. Either way, we are looking a bit more safe with the Raiders. And unfortunately, or I should say fortunately, um, I don't think we have to worry about too many upcoming personnel changes. But all that aside, what's up, man? Man, uh, again, AFC West is always fun. You know, I think the West, like for both divisions, right, is it's really the most fun. And what's cool is these two conferences also play one another. So if you draft anybody from these teams, you immediately get six matchups within your own division against other really good quarterbacks and loaded offenses. And then you pick up three quality matchups. We won't call the Seahawks a quality matchup, but you pick three quality matchups up against other good offenses in the NFC West with the Rams, obviously Super Bowl reigning Super Bowl champs. Then you get the Cardinals and you have the 49ers who are both in the playoffs as well. So, man, you could probably draft an entire fantasy team just from AFC NFC West teams and you would have all these it would also be loaded with all these potential shootout games that just spike your scores in certain weeks um I think I may try it Ian just just one draft you know just go for all AFC NFC West every pick I'm just happy to be back talking to you here, Dwayne. The friendly confines of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I was on the uh, Buck Rising show earlier today. Uh, I always love talking Tennessee Titans stuff with Buck, but it is on ESPN Zone, and I didn't realize he couldn't say shit on that, so acted like I, you know, killed a newborn child after I let that one drop. So happy to be back here where I can say, you know, shit fuck balls and not really have to worry about too much of it. So with that out of the way, Dwayne, let's talk some Las Vegas Raiders. And again, you know, I think just based on all the hype of Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson uh, now with the Broncos, like it's easy to forget that the Raiders were actually a playoff team last year and finished second in this loaded division. Now we can talk about, you know, maybe if that was a little bit fraudulent, uh, it obviously did come with a late season Indianapolis Colts collapse. So last year, the Raiders, while they were 10 and seven minus 65 point differential, Dwayne. I mean, that was worse than the Steelers, the Dolphins, the Browns, the Ravens, and even the Broncos who were at plus 13 on the season. So the only teams that were actually worse in the AFC and the Raiders in terms of point differential, Texans, Jets, and Jaguars. Not exactly a great group of company. It is going to be a brand new team, though. So I guess that is the positive. Like, I know with the John Gruden situation, they basically had to revamp their coaching staff anyway. But this isn't a situation like we see sometimes where a team maybe, you know, overachieves a little bit in terms of win losses and they run back a group that probably shouldn't have gotten that extra chance anyway. So with the team moving on from the John Gruden-led staff. Uh, we now have Josh McDaniels, obviously longtime Patriots offensive coordinator, former Broncos head coach, alongside Mick Lombardi to run the offense and Patrick Graham run the defense. Mick Lombardi worked with Josh McDan- has worked with Josh McDaniels in New England since 2019, so I think it's fairly safe to take what we saw from New England and put that towards the Raiders offense. But, Dwayne, we have seen different versions of that Patriots offense within recent history. What surprised me was that even before the Cam Newton and Mac Jones years, we were starting to see this Patriots offense embrace a little bit more of a run-balanced offense. I mean, going back to 2017, and this is, you know, Gronk and Edelman years still flying high with Brady. Patriots ranked 17th in pass play rate in non-garbage time situations. 2018, they ranked 28th. 2019, 22nd, last two years, 31st and 28th. So the good news is, I mean, we did see them really work with a lot of pace early on with Tom Brady. They were second, first, and first in situation neutral pace during the final three years of the Brady era before falling to 13th in 2020 and 27th in 2021. So I don't think that McDaniels is going to view Derek Carr as just, a uh, you know, the Sin City version of Tom Brady, if you will. At the same time, I could see them giving him more control of the offense, being more pass happy than they were with Cam Newton and, and Mac Jones, obviously. So overall thoughts on what we're expecting from this offense in terms of their pass play rate and overall pace. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, looking at, I mean, look at the Patriots three years ago, um, they were third in plays per game, 59% pass, 41% run. Like, I think we'll be somewhere around, you know, those splits. I can't say exactly, you know, where they'll land, but I think it will definitely be pass balanced, right? Could it end up pass happy? Yeah. I don't think there's any way it ends up as run heavy, just given all the weapons they have, right? Looking at Welker plus Devontae Adams, who you added, you have Darren Waller. Um, you I say just, Welker? I, <laughs> 
Well, God, yeah, that's terrible. Hunter Renfro. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a stat later on Welker and Renfro's slot route. So it was on my mind. But uh, they are similar players, not just yeah. because they're wide and, sh- and slot <laughs> receivers, but because they know how to freaking get open, man. That's what matters. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, looking at, you know, the Patriots with the offense, you know, with the weapons that they have. Uh, looking at the Raiders. Sorry. I will, I will say apologies up front. Like, I have total medicine head right now. I've been battling some sort of cold all weekend. So anyway, if you guys hear me jumble a few of the words, just forgive me. But yes, I am talking about the Raiders and their passing weapons. I think they're going to lean more to the pass than what they will with the run. I agree. I look back at some of the same data that you did. That We did see the Patriots start to be a little bit more run heavy, even with McDaniel. But still, those were in the latter years with Edelman and with Gronk. It wasn't quite, I wouldn't call it quite the same like flying high that we saw you know years before that you know we we definitely saw the patriots you know open it completely up in the past whenever they really were flush with receiving talent you know a couple of different times you had the gronk hernandez welker year you had welker randy moss slash uh who would we Dante Stallworth. Stallworth. Yeah. 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 And uh, that was whenever you, was it still, was it still Kevin? It was Kevin Falk still then. Then later you had Shane Vereen, you know, and then it was James White. But yeah, I think it'll be mostly uh, pass balance type offense is what I'm thinking. But I think there is a shot that Carr really does get to air it out. I think the big, being able to look at just the stark differences between the offenses by year, I think shows that McDaniels is probably going to design the offense around the strength of his team, which to your point is Derek Carr and these pass catchers. So quick tangent on Dante Stallworth. That dude was a God in Madden in the early days. Oh, he was so good. Especially when he was with the Eagles. Dude, and the Saints, man. That, like, 2003 Saints team, that Aaron Brooks, Joe Horn, Dante Stallworth, and Deuce McAllister, man. I was running train on online Madden back in the days. And then they had to add nuanced things like route running and stuff that made a 97 yeah. speed. Oh, it was like the Stallworth best. You just, put, you just put Stallworth on a drag underneath. You got <laughs> uh, Welker running, like, this little, you know, uh, deep in, And then you got you know, Moss, you had to find the play because you couldn't audible to this route. There's like the deep crossing route and they're all <laughs> just flooding across the screen and you're just sitting there waiting, like depending on the coverage call, one of them was open. And it was funny is to your point, like it's, I loved it when it was Stallworth because then like you just catch it and like just turn on the jets. Like, and it was like 20 yards. Speed kills, baby. But all right, let's go through some of these uh, offseason transactions. A lot to get through here, Raiders. You know, we've had some teams where it's like five total transactions. Uh, this is not one of them. So at quarterback, backup Marcus Mariota went ahead and signed two-year, $19 million contract with the Falcons. Obviously, just a little bit of that is guaranteed, though. Replacing him as backup is Josh McDaniels, former backup Jared Stidham, who was acquired from the Patriots in May. Again, reuniting with McDaniels. Also, Nick Mullins signed a one-year, $2 million contract to see seemingly battled out with Stidham to get that backup role. I would note that, you know, the Raiders did agree to that three-year $121 million extension with Derek Carr. They can get out of it as early as next year. So he's definitely there for 2022. And I would guess it more so in the future. Again, I do think Carr's a lot better than kind of the mainstream media would leave, would uh, lead you to believe. Uh, but at a minimum, he's going to need to have a good first year in the system. Wouldn't anticipate any of these backups really making too much noise. At running back, Dwayne's where things get a little more fantasy relevant. Jalen Richard remains an unrestricted free agent. Low-key caught 191 passes with the Raiders from 2016 to 2021. Also, Peyton Barber as an unrestricted free agent. Brandon Bolden, though, did sign a two-year $5 million contract with over $2 million in guaranteed money. Also got Amir Abdullah on a one-year $1.2 million deal. Just over 150 k in guaranteed money though also switched fullbacks by letting Alec Ingold sign with the Dolphins and bringing in another former Patriot and Jacob Johnson so on the one hand Dwayne we lose Jalen Richard which is nice because that's kind of been a thorn in Jacob's side over the year over the years on the other hand we did see McDaniels bring in not one but two basically passed down heavy running backs in Brandon Bolden and Amir Abdullah and I know Bolden's old I know he's been a career special teamer but damn it Dwayne there's two teams in the league where we have to worry about Brandon Bolden the Patriots and the Raiders and he's on one of them yeah, I think we're going to see a three-way rotation in the backfield. I think you'll see Josh Jacobs. You know, We'll get into these more, but I mean, probably more of a Damian Harris role, not quite as comfy of a lead over the rest of his backfield mates. And last year, we saw Kenyon Drake involved anyway, right? Um, so I think between Kenyon Drake, having Amir Abdullah, to your point, Brandon Bolden, between those, all of those, no matter, it, it's like 
there can be an injury to any one of those and you still have a passing down back competing for you know touches you know with jacobs and we haven't even talked about you know zamir white potentially coming in and competing for some of the you know early down work short down and distance work so i expect to see jacobs take a cut you know in the number of uh, snaps that he plays this year you are correct. Raiders did trade up even to add Georgia running back Samir White in the fourth round. Also added UCLA running back Britton Brown in the seventh round. So yeah, we'll talk more about running backs later. But when Josh McDaniels you know, is interviewed in March and he's like, oh yeah, I view Josh Jacobs as a three-down running back. That's great to hear him say that. But then why are you bringing in not one, not two, not like this many running backs uh, throughout the offseason clearly seems to show that, you know, probably not set with just Jacobs there and they restructured Kenyon Drake's contract. So it looks like he'll be back in the picture as well. Moving on at wide receiver again, Devonte Adams and the obviously trading uh, their first and second to get him and then signing him to a five year, $141 million deal that got top headline. And then we also had the recent restructure for Hunter Renfro, making him, you know, the latest guy to get the bag. They also really redid their complimentary pieces though. Zay Jones left for Jacksonville. Brian Edwards was traded to the Falcons and Deshaun Jackson remains an unrestricted free agent. They brought in Demarcus Robinson, Mac Hollins and Keelan Cole on one year deals. Demarcus Robinson has, or excuse me, Mac Hollins actually has the most guaranteed money of the group. Even then though, we're not talking about someone that necessarily will be guaranteed to be on the roster. So Dwayne, with all, these moves man it just seems like things are gonna be more centered than ever around Devonte adams and then hunter renfro based on those fullbacks we talked about and mcdaniel's history using two tight ends i don't think there's going to be a third uh fancy relevant wide receiver in las vegas no i don't either i think you know yeah you do have three targets having to you know battle it out with one another but it's very top heavy yeah. like i expect most of the targets you know to go to these guys did some research i think you and i what's funny is i was watching your twitter I think you and I were kind of researching the same thing because uh, I saw your tweet about uh, we went about it different ways, but you had a tweet <laughs> out there about, hey, number of times you have two top 24 and a top 12 tight yep. end. I was like, he's he's looking at the Raiders. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was doing the same thing, but I went and started. I wanted to say I wanted to go look, you know, basically based on a number one receiver, like how heavy of a target share they got. Like typically, what did we see to the wide receiver two and well, really the second and third options on the team. I didn't care if they were a running back, tight end, receiver. Anyway, so we'll talk about that more in a minute, but I think it's going to be top-heavy across those three guys. We did that earlier in the offseason too, but our editors were actually okay with it because we ended up writing two pretty different articles. But I'm, I'm a jackass sometimes with that where I'll like – you know, I wake up and I'll feel like writing something different. So I just do. And I'm like, well, if it's a good article, they'll get over it. So, uh, yeah. So Dwayne, oh, always on the same wavelength. That's one of the things I love about you at tight end. Derek Carrier remains an unrestricted free agent. They brought in Jacob Hollister on a minimum one year deal to fill that number three tight end role. Don't expect him to be out there much behind Darren Waller and Foster Moreau takes us right into the quarterback position. Derek Carr is a very good quarterback, people. You can even say great, honestly, if you want to just look at the last three years of his career. 51 quarterbacks with at least 300 dropbacks from 2019 and 2021. Carr ranks 10th in PFF passing grade, 14th in QB rating, 7th in big-time throw rate, 14th in turn for worthy play rate, tied for 8th in yards per attempt, number 2 in adjusted completion rate. And let's not pretend like he's just had like an influx of just elite weapons around him, Dwayne. We love Hunter Renfro. We're going to say great things about him. Hunter Renfro shouldn't be your undisputed number one. We have no one behind him pass game option for over half a season like he was in 2021 because what we saw from Derek Carr in those first seven games with Henry Ruggs helping consistently take off the defense, it was incredible, man. I mean, the difference between him in weeks one through seven and the rest of the year, like people are giving Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray all this shit for dropping off. I guess with Carr, we have more of the, okay, like losing Henry Ruggs is a reason. It's not just a first half to second half split, but whatever it was, man, my goodness, passing grade in weeks one through seven, 89.9. Week nine on, 64.3. Yards per attempt fell from 8.5 to 6.9. Just a completion rate fell off 4.4%, despite the average target depth dropping from 9.2 to 7.9. Big time throws went from 8.5% to 3.9%. Turnover worthy plays went up 2%. Carr went from being truly one of the best quarterbacks in the league in the first seven weeks of the year to a below average to bad player. Now, obviously, adding Devontae Adams back in, he's going to take more attention away from the defense than even someone like Ruggs ever did. So I guess here's my issue, Dwayne, because as much as I like Carr, I think he's firmly in that tier. At the bottom of the tier with Rodgers, Stafford, and Kirk Cousins is very close to him. But you look at that 
first stretch of him, and he still only worked as the QB 11 in total fantasy points. So if the best version that we've really seen of Carr yet still wasn't much more than a borderline QB one. I guess that's my hesitation. We're getting overly excited about Carr. As your QB two, you know, if we want to do best ball, I know we're taking multiple QBs or you get to a lower part of the draft and you already have Adams and stuff. That's fine. But in terms of someone that people in their redraft, one quarterback least should be prioritizing. I just don't think he has that best case upside. And a lot of it does come back to the absolute zero. We're getting him on the ground. Yeah. I think he has the best case upside, but like how confident are we in it? Right. I think we, I think even you, like you probably acknowledge like with, with, all three of the targets that he has, if they stay healthy all year, like Carr's probably going to cook. Um, but like, how high can he push? The way I look at him is I think he's an arbitrage on the Tom Brady slash Dak Prescott tier. We're not going to come out and project him to do as well as those guys. But if everything goes well and those his receivers stay healthy, they don't for some reason turn into a run heavy team. Like there are these caveats, right? That you've got to talk about. But I think if things work out well for him, he could end up being, you know, a top eight quarterback and he would, be in that, he, would, he would be in that conversation with Brady and Dak and, you know, the guys that can't really run, but they've got good weapons. They can throw the ball a lot. I think you can say the same thing about Kirk Cousins. Those are the two guys that I think you can get later that are great to match with upside guys like Lance and Fields. They're also fine just to be your QB two right over in best ball leagues. Um, if you're in a deeper league, like where you draft against 14 and 16 teammates, I get these DMS all the time. I'm in a 16 team league. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be tough, <laughs> you know, and that like, you're probably fine. You know, he's a great QB two um, if you're in a super flex format, but I think that that is his upside. Um, so top eight, it's, it's like you said, we don't think he's, you know, got number one overall upside like that would, that would really surprise us. But I think a lot of his woes last year, really did come once once people got dinged up you had the rugs thing then you had well you had waller missing time then you had the rugs thing and so it's just the way they had designed their offense for the year it all fell apart and all you had was hunter renfro left and we love hunter renfro but you know he can't do everything you need to do on a football field really to score a lot of touchdowns you've got to be able to stretch the field create mismatches across the board let the quarterback pick the best one he just didn't have and that's really Derek carr's game He's dropping back and making the right read and then getting the ball out. He's not necessarily like the best improv kind of guy. In fact, whenever whenever Derek Carr pre- faces pressure, that's really where he's not as good as his peers. When he's kept clean against the blitz, he's fine. But if he gets pressured is whenever Derek Carr starts to, to cave, which is part of why you see him want to drop back, get the ball out quick, you know, find the mismatch. So I think adding, you know, Devontae Adams, you get a healthy Waller, you have Renfro, we have the right atmosphere or environment, if you will, for us to see the best car, but everybody needs to stay healthy, including car. Dwayne, I'm not sure how recently you've updated your rankings live on the site. Right now, I'm seeing that you have Derek Carr QB 16. I have him at QB 15. Behind most of the guys we talked about, I do have Kirk Cousins one spot ahead of Carr. You have him one below. I, I see it. I flip-flop them myself. I do think... I wouldn't draft him ahead of Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson, but I think to your point, they are arbitrage versions. And I like, I'd rather wait to get a car or cousins than spend early on Prescott or Russ, because we're not getting that same rushing upside out of those guys. We used to have it, but again, we've talked about my study showing that quarterbacks do run less as they get older. And we've now seen that several, at least for one year with Dak coming off the ankle issue and Russ now uh, for quite some time. So to me, Trey Lance, maybe Justin Fields do deserve to go ahead of them. Are, are we back in on fields, man? Because I guess, because again, it's just this kind of quarterback spot. Like, With the way Fields plays, we did see the four top 10, top 12 finishes in his final five starts. I know they didn't do much to improve anything, but hell, he was already putting up the numbers we were looking for by the end of last season. Do you think that Carr and these guys should be going ahead to dual threat uh, second year quarterbacks or is he in a good spot? I think he's in a good spot. I love pairing those types. And yes, I think I've, I've, I don't. I've never been out on fields. The market has really cooled on him though, because, and again, remember news cycles, the draft came, the bears and free agency came and the bears didn't do anything to help fields. So that's ultimately what has pushed fields, you know, down in ADP since, since like March. Um, But we know that with a quarterback like fields, you don't necessarily have to have all the weapons because so much of it is tied to your ability to run the ball and your ability, you know, design rushing attempts and scrambling. 
And from everything we're hearing in Chicago, they're going to try and run a more balanced to run balanced offense with Fields being a major centerpiece to it. So um, I think the way I look at it, um, and you can give me your thoughts, if I'm just really swinging for the fence upside, it's Trey Lance and then Fields. But if you're looking for some okay upside, but you really want the floor as well, I think it's Carr and Cousins. We, we, know, it, we know that Carr and Cousins, honestly, they're probably going to outperform our rank, right? They, they probably will, but they don't have the same you know, upside case like Trey Lance as much as we have unknowns about him, but because he, the way he plays number one overalls in his range of outcomes, I don't think that's there for Derek Carr. Do I think that's a high probability for Lance? No, but I think it's a better probability than Carr because he has the, you know, he's got the kryptonite, you know, which is rushing. So same thing for fields. So I think it's just a matter of personal preference, to be honest, how you want to construct your team. You're looking for more upside. You're looking for more floor. You know, what are you trying to accomplish? I love, again, like I said, matching those, mishmashing all four of those guys together, Carr, Cousins, Lance, Fields. So, Dwayne, the downside of my brilliant underdog book club idea <laughs> where you read a book while you're doing an underdog draft. Great usually, idea, by the way. I love usually, it. Usually did have did a, Pete ever respond? I saw when you tweeted that. He did said he liked re- it. He said he liked it. I'm not, you know, he's doing his cardio club right now. So I think we might be, uh, <laughs> we might be on the back shelf. But I was trying to do this last night and I already had Debo and George Kittle on the squad. Was reaching just a little bit on Trey Lance and my fat freaking fingers, Dwayne, take Kenneth Walker, Walker. over to Trey Lance. I was screaming in my living room at like 1 a.m. in the morning dogs had no idea what was going on unfortunately 11 strangers out there were probably laughing right were you picking from the 12 or 11 i think i was 10 yeah you can do it from down on that end you know yankee's done it on one of our live streams you know and you don't have to reach that much to build that i like i like the idea of debo kittle and uh and lance man tebow and kittle are just like so good i i know there we we've got concerns and we'll talk about san francisco but man the talent is undeniable on those two players and if lance does pop off that could be just a league crusher that's why i'm looking at lance more and more it's like why do we have him behind dak and russ i mean we can argue well, that it, it, i think it's just the unknown but to your point it just depends on the way people want to rank like Kind of the way I'm thinking about it is I've got a median projection that makes up like 50% of a player's rank. But then I have their upside, which is worth 20, 25%, and then their downside. And not, and not everything is this perfect bell curve. Like what we're looking for are like the asymmetrical curves where when they hit their upside, what does it look like? And that's what Lance is one of those type of players. Like if he can hit his upside, like, wow, like it really is huge. Um, but I mean, just with you know, Dak and some of these other guys, like they're also in really good offenses. So, I mean, it's just, it's tough to get them up there ahead of it, but I think there's definitely something to be said for if you want to craft a strategy around making Trey Lance, your QB one. I, I know we've been bouncing around some different teams, but when we're trying to figure out the it's exact fun. ranking spot, it's fun. And I think it's a uh, certainly necessary as well. So Derek Carr, someone that, you know, Dwayne, one of the questions you like to ask, which I adore, are we going to regret not having more Derek Carr? If we have him ranked, you know, QB 15, 16, I just don't think so because yeah, the top eight outcome, that's great. And he can help a lot of fantasy teams, but just guys, you're Josh Allen's Kyler's Herbert's Mahomes, Lamar hurts what they bring to the table. It's just not the same skill set as Derek Carr. And they're basically playing different positions. I think when we actually start looking at it through a fantasy lens, so, you know, Carver's cousins is a good debate, but we're still taking Stafford. We're still taking Rogers ahead of them. And honestly, I think Fields and Lance deserve it as well. We're comfortable with Derek Carr as pretty much upside QB2. It should be Derek upside QB2 Carr. That should be his full name. Yeah, I think that's perfect. Um, I don't think there's a scenario where we regret it. Now, where it could come through is it's really easy um, to create the Raider stacks as well. Also from the same type draft position of 10, 11, and 12. I mean, you can, if you wanted, you could go Devontae Adams at the end of first round. You could come back over on underdog right now and you can get i believe i can't remember you know ian if it's the if it's the third or the fourth round i think it might be fourth round actually right now where you could still get darren waller right and then because sometimes i'm looking at ff ff yeah it might be fifth so i don't have it up right in front of me but you can you can easily go adams and come back with waller or you could skip adams and just take waller and then you can get renfro you know in the seventh eighth like there's a lot of different ways um that you can stack the raiders now um the nice thing is there's there's just those three, like what we've talked about. You don't really have to worry about anybody else later that you want to spend a pick on. So you could know whether or not you want to take car. You see if the stack is working 
and then you can take your quarterback and you could, you know, you could reach half a round on car if you had to, you know, just to make it work out. Derek, if you're listening to this or anyone that person knows Derek, please unblock me. I was an idiot. I'm sorry for making those memes before 2020, making fun of your ability under pressure. It wasn't right. I was wrong. You were right. You're a better quarterback than I ever was. You're, you're better looking than me. I'm trying to do the whole a, a happy Gilmore spiel when he's apologizing <laughs> uh, to Chubb here. I made you a highlight film, Derek, that has 53,000 yeah. views of people just loving you, man. Please just unblock me. My life will be made better, and I'll support you, and we can go on and live happily ever after. Let's talk some running backs, Dwayne. Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, Samir White, excuse me. Yeah, Zamir White, Amir Abdullah, Brandon Bolden. I'm getting Zamir White and Isaiah Spiller just mixed up because I'm doing the same division with these rookies. So apologies, but yeah, pretty crowded situation right now. This will be, seems like Jacob's last season with the Raiders after they declined his fifth year option. He was worse, Dwayne, last year and even the year before compared to a rookie, but still pretty good overall with the underlying. I mean, 81.5 PFF rushing grade in 2021, not the 86.9 mark, but we're still seeing him rank towards the top of the league in terms of missed tackles force per attempt, you know, pretty good yards after contact uh, per attempt as well. I love Josh Jacobs with the ball in his hands. Always have. I think after his rookie year, you can make a legit argument that he's a, he was a top five to top 10 running back just in terms of his ability to force missed tackles. Like his highlight film, borderline erotic on the ground. And we've seen him do a lot of good things in the past game too, man. I was just going through and watching basically all of his career receptions. And you would have just the typical check downs and stuff that aren't, you know, involving too much high level route running, but some of the, here it is, 26 minutes in. The Texas routes that he was able to put on film and things of that nature. Truly great stuff that we're seeing from Jacobs. And, like, that's been a theme. When Mike Mayock drafted him, he said Josh Jacobs is a three-down running back. That's why we took him. We heard McDaniels echo those statements in March. The question is, will he get that usage? Last year, career-high marks and targets, receptions, and receiving yards. But that did come with Kenyon Drake out of the picture and Jalen Rashard even out of the picture for chunks of time. As we know with Josh McDaniels, has pretty much always run a backfield committee. We can go back to his days as a Broncos head coach, and we've seen no Sean Moreno really popping off. But I just don't think that McDaniel spent a decade in New England, like unable to do what he wanted to do on offense. Maybe Belichick did have, you know, final say in terms of who is going to run the ball, but I just don't think that McDaniels has been secretly just trying to have this one, you know, three down workhorse over the years. And, you know, basically Dwayne, it comes down to the same sort of takeaway we had for the Patriots. What's the upside for Jacobs? Cause if you say it's the LeGarrette Blunt role, or the Damian Harris role, LeGarrette Blunt that season was the PPR RB 15 on a per game basis. Last year, Damon Harris was the RB 20. Like if we're going to take a running back within the first five rounds of a fantasy draft, I don't want their best case scenario to be like an upside touchdown dependent RB two. I, you know, even someone like, I guess Jacobs right now is following into the same tier as Antonio Gibson. Like these guys are potentially multiple injuries away from looking at a top 12 ranking during any given week. I love the talent. And because of that, I can wrap my mind around people wanting to take them at the right pl- at the right price. But man, Dwayne, this just seems like a classic situation where we hope Jacobs can get that role. But man, if that Girl Scout's going to walk on up to that door and ask us if he's actually going to get it, I don't think he's going to get the pass down role. They have Drake. They have Bolden. They have Abdullah. There's too many bodies in this running back room that could feasibly get the targets. And as much as we can say like, oh, oh he's not going to be there in 2023 and beyond, like that's why he's going to get a featured workload. I'm not sure if that line of reasoning works, man. Like I know we saw it with the Cowboys and DeMarco Murray and some other examples in the past, but like we're balancing a team like openly coming out and saying like they don't want to have you in their future with like, yeah, now, so now they're going to give you more carries this year. Like, I don't know. It's just a slippery slope. And man, listen to Josh Jacobs himself, bro. He said last year, actually before the Eagles game, unfortunately it was right before he got hurt, but this was uh, one of the best quotes. I think I've dug up throughout the team preview series uh, article came out just over a month ago. But basically this was Josh Jacobs himself before week seven. I don't want this to be a one-man show. My body don't want this to be a one-man show. You feel me? I tell them, incorporate him. And unfortunately, Jacobs got hurt that very week. But man, that's not great, man. We know Josh Jacobs hates fantasy football. He's already been someone confident enough in his health and just role. I get it. Real life, no. Running backs shouldn't want the ball 400 times in a season. I perfectly understand where Jacobs is coming from. We're not talking about real life. We're talking about fantasy football, and it sure seems like Josh Jacobs is not going to have the role that warrants picking him inside the fantasy's top 20 running backs. Yeah. Uh, 
you hit on a lot of really key stuff there. The biggest thing being that it takes multiple injuries to unlock an every down roll at this point for Jacobs. And he doesn't even necessarily want the every down roll. So look, the talent to your point, I think he's underrated. Honestly, he's one of the better backs in the league. You know, you talked about, you know, the PFF rushing grade, uh, missed tackles force. Like he's one of the elite guys. Yards after contact has come down a little bit since the rookie season. He's just below the NFL average. NFL average is 2.93. He was at a 2.8 last year. But the biggest thing is like it was only out there for 48% of the routes and the games he played. I'm excluding the games that he missed. Um, he's actually, you know, from a targets per route run, you know, you mentioned, you know, some of what you saw on the film and just watching him and how good he is targets per route run 22% last year. That's RB one territory. You know, he's been a, he was targets per route run the two years before 18%, which is, you know, just, you know, sitting right around an RB two territory. So like he is fine in the passing game. He's capable. Jay Moyer, Jay Moyer has actually done film in the past of like how, capable josh jacobs is out of the backfield as a receiver and why he should be incorporated more um, as a component of the offense doing that um, unfortunately you know with mcdaniels we know that they like to spread it around they like to spread you know all of those touches around and and here's the biggest thing for jacobs all the guys behind him besides zamir white they all profile as receiving backs. Like you're not going to use Amir Abdullah for anything except really being a receiving down back. Brandon Bolden's your special teamer, but if Abdullah goes down, he can be a receiving back. Kenyon Drake is a really good receiving back. Like it, Josh Jacobs is probably Damian Harris. Kenyon Drake is probably Ramondre Stevenson. And then you've got Amir Abdullah playing James White. That's probably how this backfield is going to, going to shake out um and it's unfortunate because i think the offense could end up being really good and we've already talked about his talent profile if he did get an if it somehow he did get an every down workload which i think you and i both agree we should not put a high probability on that happening but if he did like man he would be a top six back like i have no doubt about josh jacobs talent it's just at this point we know that it's probably not going to happen given his history a and then b you know, the history of the way that uh, Josh McDaniels is used to utilizing his backs and the offseason moves that they made to really, you know, reinforce that thought process. In terms of kind of the running backs, I have him like going around slash rank behind Elijah Mitchell, Claude Brazilaire, Cordero Patterson, Miles Sanders, Antonio Gibson. I have them in front of Jacobs. If I was running a team, I'd want Jacobs over all those guys and even going, you know, guys behind Jacobs, Kareem Hunt, A.J. Dillon, Chase Edmonds, Tony Pollard. A little bit different story, maybe with someone there like Hump, but that's the problem, Dwayne. Like, we have this issue with the theoretical three-down running backs where it's like, well, what if they do get the role? I just don't really think he will. And because of that, I'm going to take Clyde, Cordero, even Miles Sanders ahead of Jacobs because I just feel more confident in their opportunities to catch the ball. I think Gibson versus Jacobs is a true toss-up. Maybe he should be going with Jacobs because I certainly feel better about the Raiders offense as opposed to Washington's. Right now, I have Jacobs RB27. Again, maybe a spot too low, but I'm comfortable being underranked on him compared to field. Where do you have him, Dwayne? Yeah, I'm 26. So I just, you know, right now on FFPC, uh, thanks Fantasy Mojo, he is 22. On Underdog, this was as of last Friday, he was 23, or sorry, 22. So it's, um, you know, uh, I'm a little bit behind. I'm like you, I don't really see it. I, I see too many things having to happen for me to regret not taking Jacobs. Now, I think the for his bull case to get there, I do think it's, you know, scoring 15 touchdowns. That's what it would take. Like if he does that, like he's going to end up being, you know, a nice RB one. So if the Raiders offense really comes through in a big way and he gets to finish off a lot of these drives by being the guy that gets to take the carries inside the five, which last year, um, now again, different coaching staff, but last year he didn't get all those in the games he played. I'm excluding games. He missed. He accounted for 41% of the short down and distance work for the Raiders. Short down and distance means third or fourth down, one to two yards to go. It correlates very highly with inside the five attempts, except it broadens your sample size by like 35%. There's 35% more carries, right, in those situations than just inside the five, which helps you get a better feel for who really is the back that's most likely to be plunging in, scoring the touchdowns. And that was surprising to me to see Jacobs at 41%. Um, so, Kenyon Drake was getting some of that work. And now we know Zamir White could snipe some of that work. But I think his bull case is he gets 60 to 70% of that work. The Raiders offense is really good. They're in a lot of shootouts. And Jacobs gets to score the touchdowns. That's where his upside can come from. 
but because we don't feel that great about his passing down duties, all those things, he just doesn't you know use a poker term. Like Jacobs just doesn't have as many outs. Like his talent is one out. Like he could be hyper efficient. The touchdowns are his other out. But I don't think he really gets you know the opportunity to be an every down back. Doesn't really get an opportunity to to, to earn much of the two minute offense. Any of those things. We saw him last year, Ian, for a stretch when Kenyon Drake and Jalen Richard were hurt, and Jacobs really got to do it. Like he was great. Like we loved him in fantasy, you know, for that couple of week stretch, but it just doesn't ever last. And the problem with if he's the, like, he has far more pass down skill than Damian Harris. So it's not a one yeah, for one for comparison, sure. but like last year, Damian Harris scored 15 touchdowns. And again, RB 20 per game and RB 14 overall, if it's going to be as rigid of a committee as McDaniels has used in the past, past, there is a chance that Jacob's best case scenario role without an injury is just going to be a touchdown dependent RB two. That's a lot to pay for someone in the earlier rounds of the draft. So Dwayne, if there is a running back dead zone, I kind of think it's right around where Jacobs is going, man, like him, Antonio Gibson. I think you could put JK Dobbins potentially in there. Elijah Mitchell, AJ Dillon. Like those are the running backs that I'm shying away from more than any, because you still have, you know, ultra talented wide receivers. And you're also looking at the Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts is of the, world i just don't find myself getting that much exposure to those backs if we see jacobs you know continue to fall down a round or two and all of a sudden in round six round seven uh we're able to get him more consistently i'm in on it there again don't hate the player hate the adp as things stand right now though i don't see myself having much exposure to jacobs or really any of these running backs and i'm fine with that yeah i'm with you um you know for me with dead zone, like the number one thing I'm looking for is just replaceable talent, you know, players that just aren't sparking anything, you know, as far as yards after contact, missed tackles force, you know, basically you could put in another back that would do just good. Like, um, and I don't think Jacobs fits that profile, but because he needs so many other things to go his way, because there's so many backs now on the roster and the signals that the team is sending us. I agree. He's just kind of in that territory of where I don't really want to mess with it. I'll get a little exposure to him, but I really do have a tough time again, coming back to that question. You know, what's the scenario that has to play out for us to absolutely regret, you know, not taking Josh Jacobs and everything smashes. And I think there's just too many hoops you have to jump through to get to the end scenario to where you're like, Oh my God, I'm losing my fantasy league because I don't have Josh Jacobs. It's just really tough to see. And like running back is a position where we can make that, like unlike a quarterback or a wide receiver, we could probably make like an overall RB one case for like 20 different running backs. So it's just like, Oh, all of these guys get hurt. He becomes a three down back right. and he just falls <laughs> out. Like, so yeah, I understand there is a scenario where that happens with Jacobs, but that scenario is there for everyone. What if Aaron Jones gets hurt and AJ Dillon takes over? What if Mostert and all the Miami running backs get hurt and chase Edmonds is there? Like every single running back has that potential case. Unfortunately in Jacobs case, he really doesn't seem to be one injury away. He seems to be two or maybe even more. So with that in mind, I just want to point out that the best place to play fantasy football this summer if you do want some josh jacobs shares or you want to fade them is over at underdog fantasy their best ball mania mania tournament has 10 million dollars in total prize money they already fill up the puppy and guess what everyone if you don't know what best ball is pretty freaking easy because the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year when last year the actual champion of Best Ball Mania drafted in June. So there's no time like the present to join Underdog. Take your shot at a million-dollar draft. I've had some of my, you know, non- complete diehard friends uh, just ask about best ball recently. And I do understand that, you know, tying up your money for potentially, you know, six plus months, not ideal for everyone, but seriously, like 25 bucks to win 2 million as someone that, you know, whenever I'm throwing money at like NBA games or even my UFC fights as, as much as I like to uh, think I know what's going on in that ever unpredictable sport, like, 25 to 125, give me a chance at $2 million and let me do it drafting a freaking football team. So that's one of the reasons why I love uh, best ball more than just about anything out there. And Underdog is going to be kind enough to double your first deposit up to 100 bucks when you sign up with the promo code PFF. And if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. Best deal we have right now in order for you to get that free PFF sub. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the app store, play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. Also, shout out to our friends over at FanDraft. They are revolutionizing the sticker board game. I'm not a hater of the sticker boards. I still have a, dra a draft with my Chicago boys. Pathetic eight-man league, but you know what? I'm in it, whatever. 
appreciate it. And we still use a sticker board, but you know, we've had problems over the years when you're trying to get everyone together at the same place at the same time, you know, people have families or girlfriends or some other terrible excuse for not being able to do a fantasy football draft. And it becomes a problem when you got to start, you know, using FaceTime or whatever to tell them who's on the board and this and that. What FanDraft does is they give you the opportunity to still use that sticker board, but it's 2022. We're putting that shit on a TV screen now, HDMI cord, and anyone that's not there is able to come in remotely, still see the board, not stunt your style, but also still be involved in the draft. So really, it's just the perfect way to be able to ensure that your entire league will be able to draft, to see the board, and for you guys that are lucky enough to make it out there to have a damn good time doing it so sign up for a free trial account at fandraft.com when you're ready to order the pro account make sure to use promo code pff to save 50 percent off your purchase again that's fandraft.com with code pff sometimes we go through these previews Dwayne, and i say like this is the main event like four different times for a single team but this really is the main event the las vegas raiders wide receiver room Devonte adams hunter renfro and like i said who the hell really cares after that but it is demarcus robinson keelan cole and mac hollins in case you were wondering so looking at adams and Carr, look they put up bonkers numbers together at Fresno State. We already said all the good things about Derek Carr. We don't need to list to you guys the stats that just show why Devontae Adams is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. The one thing I would bring up is that the last time we saw Adams, even without Aaron Rodgers, didn't go bad, man. We actually had him post wide receiver 12 numbers in eight games with Brett Hundley under center all the way back in 2017 when I don't even think Adams was the same player he is today. I mean, those games, wide receiver 12, 80, 26, 12, 9, 11, 43, and 3. Yeah, there were two duds, two games where he only had five and six targets in those appearances with Brett freaking Hundley under center. Even the worst car critic, I think, could admit that car is in a different league than Mr. Brett Hundley with all due respect to the Hundley family. So you look at some of these wide receiver trades over the past few years. Yeah, we had the Beckhams, Watkins, Julio, and Jarvis ones not exactly go perfectly, but Brandon Marshall, 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns with the Jets. Stephon Diggs, 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns with the Bills. Hopkins went for 1,400. Brandon Cooks, on three separate occasions, got traded in the offseason, had over 1,000 yards immediately after. Like, I don't love having to take the leap on the new environment, the new quarterback and all that. And because of that, I have Adams wide receiver six behind cup Jefferson, Jamar chase, Stefan Diggs, and CD lamb guys that I think are in a similar talent stratosphere with similar volume, but we don't have to take that extra step of wondering how they're going to be in a new offense with a new quarterback. But man, I just don't think there's a scenario in a traditional 12 man, one QB redraft league where Adams falls out of the first round. How are you approaching him, Dwayne? Because again, like there's no reason to believe that he's going to fall off a cliff at this point, age wise, you know, metrics, efficiency stuff. But how high do we want to rank him? Because we know he's going to be sought after early. Yeah, I have him at the bottom of my second tier, which puts him at wide receiver six. I, I have Jefferson, Cup, Chase, then Lamb, then Diggs, and then I have Adams. And, um, you know, you already hit most of the key points. Like, look, this is just a guy that, you know, has got astronomical target shares, no matter who's throwing him the ball over the last several years. Because why? Because he's good. You know, the guy gets open. Now, the thing that he did enjoy in Green Bay <clears throat> that he won't quite get to enjoy as much here is we have traditionally seen, you know, the true mega monster target share seasons. And I did this research over the weekend come from really good players. You still have to be a good player. You can't suck and just go out there and have nobody else on your team. And that means all of a sudden you're getting a 30% target share. But when we look at the quality of the player, Typically, the really good receivers that live on a roster where really there's just no one else, that's where the big 30% target share seasons come from. Now, we have seen guys like, you know, Andre Johnson, King, 31% target share whenever DeAndre Hopkins had a 25%er. So it can happen, but we have three weapons, right, on this offense. We've also got Hunter Renfro. We've also got, you know, Darren Waller. We also have Devontae Adams. It's basically his age 30 season. He'll be 29.7, you know, when the year starts. But Cooper Cup's 29.3, right? And we've got him in tier one. So they're at they're at the point where things could start to decline for them, but it, it's not necessarily going to, right? We see some receivers just keep on through the age of 31, and they're fine. 32, you do typically start to see, you know, more of a tell-off. So with Adams, I think, you know, his age, going to a new team, there are some other, you know, players to compete with. So, like, I still have him projected for a healthy target share, though. I think he could still be at a 25 26% target share. You know what's really interesting, Ian, is uh, whenever I was going back and doing this research, and the way I did it is I went back and I said, okay, I want to isolate down to basically 
every receiver that's you know number one receiver on a team that's had a 23 percent target share or above and these are adjusted so i'm adjusting for games miss you had to play at least 14 games and so the highest I already gave you, right, was whenever we saw, uh, you know, Andre Johnson with DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. But what's interesting is only one time that I ha- did it actually pop up since 2011, where you had three uh, receiving targets on a team over 20% of the target share. And guess who it was? It was the New England Patriots who Josh Ooh. McDaniel coached. So you had Wes Welker, 28%, Rob Gronkowski, 20%. Aaron Hernandez, 20%. So, um, but the biggest takeaway is, you know, he's probably not going to be a 30% target share player, but I think he can be somewhere between, you know, 28 and 26%. And these two other guys can still get fed, you know, whether it's going to be Waller leading the way with 22% or Welker at 20, 22% and the third guy at 19 or 20, I don't know, but I think it'll be something close to, to that, right? The lead receiver is probably somewhere around 25. The next guy is around 21 you know, 20 next guys around 1920, but I expect it to be consolidated around those three players. But I think that does take a little bit off of Adams. It's just going to, there's not really a path. I don't think for him to be, you know, that third, that true where we're just guaranteed like 175 targets. I think that's in danger. So right now I would take, including all positions, Taylor McCaffrey cup, Jefferson, chase, Henry Harris, Eckler Diggs, and lamb, before Adams, do you think he deserves to go behind those top five RBs? I do have him one spot ahead of Kelsey as well. I think the arguable one for me is um, Henry, and I've got him one spot behind Henry right now um, in my top 150. But I, I wouldn't blame anyone, right, if they just wanted to go ahead and take Devontae Adams over Henry just because we know the workload, right, that yeah. Henry's faced. Um, on that alone, you could you could, you could could say, I'm going to flip Adams, you know, with Henry. But, yeah, right now I've got JT, uh, CMC, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, C.D. Lamb, Stefan Diggs, and Henry are my 10 players above Adams who I have at number 11 overall and i have him one spot ahead of dalvin cook right you could also argue that cook belongs above adams like the the henry adams cook like those three honestly i'd be fine with whoever wanted to take those in any order and you could throw travis kelsey into that group i think joe mixon who my next player is at 14 kelsey i have at 13 i think that's the cutoff yeah. but like between pick nine of Diggs, henry adams cook and kelsey and a full ppr i wouldn't argue with anyone that change that order of those players in any way they want it. I think they're all really close. Adams could be at the top of that if you want. You could put Adams at the bottom of that group. You could put him in the middle, which is where I have him right now. But I think there's a strong case that you could argue out for any one of those players being at the top or bottom of that group. Adams right now over underdog fantasy is the 11th player off the board. So Dwayne and I are pretty much agreeing with consensus. Happy to get exposure to Adams when he is there at that spot. As you said before, Dwayne, I was kind of looking at this in a, I was looking at the same question as you. I went about the process slightly differently. So the way I figure it, Darren Waller is going to finish the top 12 tight end. It's consensus. He's going top five. So we also realized Devontae Adams is going to be, I said top 24, but even top 12, I think. I just wanted a little bit wider range to maybe account for that. So I wanted to see how many teams have multiple top 24 wide receivers and one top 12 tight end. Because if we're hoping that Renfro can give us some upside, you would hope that he can finish as a top 24 wide receiver. Over the past decade, we've seen 1.7 teams per season produce multiple top 24 wide receivers with a top 12 tight end. Looking at the way ADP is set right now, basically we should expect one or two of these wide receivers to join their tight end and wide receiver on their team as high fantasy relevant factors. Hunter Renfro, Brandon Ayuk, Devontae Smith, Gabriel Davis, Chase Claypool, and a mixture of Chris Goblin and Russell Gage, assuming that Gronk is going to be back into the picture. For me, man, with the caveat that none of the Buccaneers, like we're not going to get a full season of dominance from Goblin necessarily, because he'd be in there, no questions asked if we knew he was good to go in week one. So to me, it's Gabriel Davis, the Buccaneers, and Renfro as the top three, most likely. Maybe we, you know, just because the average is 1.7 doesn't mean we could, couldn't have a year with three or four uh, qualifying guys. But it's not great for Renfro, but I'm comfortable with where he's going. We don't have to draft him up around that wide receiver 25 spot like we do at Goblin, like we do at Gabriel Davis. Renfro's still going wide receiver 40, man. So I was expecting to be kind of down, more down, I think, on Renfro as I was going through it. but. 
your point that you made earlier in the offseason when we were really high on Renfro about Josh McDaniels keeping his slot receivers way more involved than we see in most offenses. Like, yeah, he does have the fullback and the two tight end usage, but he figures it out. And that's why we saw guys like Edelman and Welker continue to be just fine in terms of a route uh, run basis over the years. Renfro, man. I think his ceiling is as a top 24 wide receiver and his floor really shouldn't be going anywhere. I am perfectly fine drafting him as a top 36 receiver when he's not even, he's again, going wide receiver 40. Yeah. I love it. Honestly. Like I, I, and again, like it's easy to make the, the, the team stacks if you want, you know, later with Carr, Um, and it's an offense where I don't mind owning multiple pieces of the passing game. Um, so yeah, with Hunter Renfro, I mean the big thing, um, and you just mentioned it, it's even if his targets per route, can't sustain, you know, where he was last year because he's got new target competition. Um, and if you look at him, you know, for 2021, his targets per route run were 23%. Say that drops to 21% because now we got Devontae Adams. You're going to healthy Darren Waller. It's still fine just because on Hunter Renfro's, you know, what he should pick up as far as the number of routes that he's going to get to run alone, it's going to offset that. So if you look at going back to Wes Welker, 2012, the percentage of routes that the slot receiver for Josh McDaniel's offense, you know, has been out there. Listen, 92% for Welker Edelman in 2013, 89% Edelman in 2016, 94% of the time Brady dropped back. Edelman was in a route 2019, 94% for Edelman. And then if you look at Jacoby Myers last year, 92% Hunter Renfro's first two years in the league, 62% and 78%. So he's going to see a career high in the amount of plays he gets to be out there when his quarterback is dropping back to pass. So that alone, even if his targets per route run come down is going to offset that downside. Here's the other thing. We know that nothing ever plays out perfectly. Like Devonte Adams, if he misses three games, we've already seen what Renfro can do whenever you basically say, look, dude, you're it. He's like, okay, Give it to me. Like he's a wide receiver one in that scenario. Yeah. He was a wide receiver. He finished his wide receiver, I think, eleven last year. Ooh. Seriously, most people Sounds don't right. know this. Like, and I'm even questioning myself saying it. Like, I'm pulling it back up, like right now, to look at it. But whenever you look at a guy like Renfro, yeah, I mean, he's just or Darren Waller, right, is the other option that he would have. That if if Darren wide Waller receiver ten, down, ten, yes. Sorry, you got to it quicker than me. I had this New England stuff all pulled up. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the upside is clearly there because seasons don't go perfect, right? There's chaos. So you're getting a player that has a better floor than what people are, most people are probably giving him credit for. Actually probably has a nicer ceiling. People don't realize how good Hunter Infro is. So he's one of these players that really showed out as a rookie and got that PFF receiving grade over a 75. His underlying data points of targets per route, yards per route run, everything has already been telling us he was eventually going to have this big breakout. Now, did it help that Darren Waller missed time? Absolutely. Like, that's going to help you. But at the end of the day, don't think that it's just because Renfro fell into all these targets. He is a good enough player to demand targets. He's a good enough player to be the centerpiece of an offense, and the opposing defenses are still going to struggle to take him away because he's a really good route runner. He gets the play inside in the slot. He has mind meld with his quarterback, which is always good. And so, man, I, I really love Renfro. I feel like, um, you know, he, he checks all the boxes I want for someone that I like to be taking in the seventh and eight round, seventh and eighth rounds. I think you're getting solid value there no matter what. But if for some reason Adams or Waller go down for any period of time, like you get immediately, you get a huge boost to the value, to the value of Hunter Renfro. And as much as, you know, it's a, you know, there are three of them. So that makes it tough on people to consider like, how would I take all three or, or, you know, one of these guys can't make it this year. Remember it is a top heavy group. We don't have, we don't have that much talent behind them. So the Raiders really need these three players to perform. If you look at the depth chart behind Renfro, it's not good. Like they're not really other players that you want to have on the field all the time, or when they are out there that you're really worried about them taking any targets away from the top three guys. He caught eighty percent of his targets last year. Like, and it's not. I mean, Some I know he's dot, but yeah, he yeah. doesn't have the highest eight dot. But man, like that's Drew Brees, Michael he, Thomas, awesome, man. like he's level awesome. efficiency. Well, my point is like we don't necessarily need. The 150 targets like with some of these other guys because they're only reeling in 60 percent of those in full point ppr renfro maybe doesn't need the biggest workload in the world and you know before i'm always quick to call out when people are you know selling bullshit numbers on the totals versus the per game wide receiver 15 on a per game basis i mean ahead of mike williams tyler lockett deandre hopkins cd lamb renfro yeah not enough people give him credit for just being an absolute stud last year Dwayne, i'm taking them ahead 
of guys with higher ADPs like Devontae Smith, Elijah Moore, even Traylon Burks, because I really don't think their target projections are all that different, especially after factoring in uh, that consistency and efficiency that he's benefiting from with Derek Carr. I want to be ahead of the pack and get me some Hunter Renfro. Wide receiver 35. Who says no? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as much as I've spilled over my love to Renfro, uh, I probably still, I probably need to move him up, <laughs> you know, yeah. a little bit. He probably needs to go into my tier 3A. I've been toying with it for like a week and a half, um, but I try to let these things sit. You know, right now we don't have to be in a huge rush because it's not like, you know, we're we're like down to drafting, right? And every little <laughs> piece of new information, we have to respond right then. I try to let stuff kind of marinate. I've got a list of like 20 guys right now that I'm thinking through. Like, do I want to move them up? Because I don't want to be moving all over the place all the time. But Renfro's a guy that, you know, he checks all the boxes that I want. I've got him currently right at ADP, pick 40 um, on underdog, and I have him as my wide receiver 40. Um, so, yeah, I, I love him. He's in that range, you know, where he's easy for me to get on a lot of teams. I expect to be overexposure. Um, versus the market, which means that I probably need to move them up my ranks so that others, if they want to follow along, they can also be overexposure on Renfro versus some of these other guys. Again, not expecting much out of Demarcus Robinson, Keelan Cole, or Mac Hollins, both because of what we've seen from them and also because in this offense, we're just not expecting the three wide receiver sets to necessarily be something they're going to lean on as much as other offenses. Let's talk tight ends now. Darren Waller, Boston Moreau, Jacob Hollister. Should it be the Darren Waller show? But Dwayne, I did have a thought that, you know, Waller last year, every down player when he's out there, as he has been, we did just see McDaniels have a history of using those two tight ends. Like Hunter Henry was hardly a 90% snap guy last year. John, who was working into that. I'm not trying to compare Waller and Moreau to Henry and John, or God forbid, Gronk and Hernandez. But I do think there is a chance that we see Foster Moreau maybe used a little bit more than in the past. This is a new offense. We need to consider that. With Darren Waller, yards per out run down from 2.54 to 2.15, just 1.72 last year. I'm willing to mostly chalk that up to injury, though. I mean, he actually suffered a sprained ankle in August before the season even started basically re-aggravated the issue and missed that random game in week seven and then a strained knee ended up sidelining him from weeks 13 to 17. So we still did see the boom weeks. I mean, 10 catches, 105 yards and a touchdown week one, had another 116 yard performance later, 92 yards. I mean, that was all within the first 11 weeks. And even with that, man, again, missed, I think six games, 90 targets, eighth most at the position. And don't throw out week one where he got 20. How many tight ends have a 20 target game in their potential range of outcomes in the first place? Waller is one of those guys. It's fair to wonder if you Yeah, if you be... throw out the fact that someone had a 20 target game as something bad. Yeah, like come I, on. I'm, mute, I'm muting you. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this is the question, man, because I'm not saying he's washed by any stretch. It was bad year efficiency wise i mean look in 2020 he was the third best tight end in fantasy points above expectation last year he was the third worst like only cole Komet and cameron Brait made less out of their opportunities but we go ahead we look ahead to 2022 waller remains pff's fifth highest projected tight end in terms of total targets and at tight end just looking at it year to year i think in terms of just taking your target leaderboard and then making that your fantasy ranks if you just did that at tight end i think you'd probably be in a pretty darn uh good spot when everything things said and done my question though Dwayne because I think it's very tough to rank him any lower than tight end six if you wanted to be really aggressive with Gronk I have him tight end five behind only Kelsey Andrews Pitts and Kittle but right now he is going I think the when I said fifth round that was incorrect he's going as a 43rd player off the board in underdog fantasy best ball draft right now that's a little high when we're taking him ahead of guys like Terry McLaurin Travis Etienne at the same cost that's rough for me. Unlike Kelsey, Andrews, and Pitts, Waller no longer has the chance to be his offense's number one pass game option. And I don't think he's, I think he's a tear down from George Kittle in terms of real life ability, particularly if we want to go ahead and put age into the question. So for me, man, he's still a top five tight end, but I don't see myself, unless I already have Adams and I want to try to reach a little bit to make the car stack happen. I don't see myself getting a ton of Waller this year because I just don't see that same best case scenario for him as he's had the last few years. Yeah, I've got him at tight end four. I mean, I have him one slot ahead of Kittle, but I have them in the same tier. I have Pitts, That's Waller, and, and Kittle all in the same tier. I think your argument on Pitts, you know, so for Pitts, he could absolutely just dominate his team in targets, right? I agree with you. We probably are not going to see that with Waller, but 
with Pitts, we got to deal with a team that we know Arthur Smith wants to run the ball more. And we have no clue like what's going to happen with the quarterback for the Falcons, right? So that kind of balances that part out. Versus Kittle, we've got the question about the quarterback. We also have to deal with Debo Samuel. We've also got to deal with Brandon Ayuk, right, on a team that's potentially run heavy. So I think where I, I give Waller a, le- a small leg up over Kittle because I think there's a better chance for the Raiders' p- offense to be pass happy. I know for sure Derek Carr is a quality passing quarterback in the NFL. We're not questioning Trey Lance's fantasy uh, value, right? But he could, there's the potential for Trey Lance to really hurt the value of his receivers and George Kittle, Debo Samuel. Brandon Ayuk. So I've got Waller one spot ahead of George Kittle, um, but I'm not going to argue with the fact that George, look, George Kittle, I think actually is still the best. Like if you just want to say who's the best tight end, like NFL tight end, who's the best NFL tight end right now? It's George Kittle. Like he's the best. Like, his targets per route run. If, his yards if aliens invade this planet, Dwayne, and we need to pick a starter, tight got to give him one. Kittle. It's Kittle. It is. And and dude, like we'll talk about Kittle when we get. We'll be on the NFC West next. But like, I, I do think people are snoozing a little bit on him. But I have those two players together. Like, I, I, fine. I think you could argue either way. I think the talent profile is slightly better for Kittle. The overall situation, you know, is better really for Waller. Right. So it's kind of like you know, and that's what all these things come down to: the intersections of the talent versus the situation. And so each guy's got a positive, each guy's got a negative. So it's if only someone like, had okay. like a really easy to use way to represent that. Uh, maybe a spoiler towards our fancy product we're going to have out soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and you can see it right now in the tiers that I, all the tier articles that I've got up, I put it all in there for you guys. But um, with Waller, I think most of the efficiency stuff, I am going to chalk it up to the injuries that he was yeah. battling through last year. Um, so I think he's still going to be fine from that perspective. And, and no matter what, he's got to be in your top five. If you want to make him anywhere between three and five, I think that's fine. So where do you see, are you going to be overweight, underweight, you think? Because again, I just, when it's I'll probably be even to market on Waller. Okay. And here's what's going to happen. When you pick down there, like I said, and picks 10, 11, and 12, especially like on underdog and best ball, and you want to build some Raider stacks, like, you know, that's the area where you can easily get Waller. That's what I was saying earlier. Cause you say you have pick 11, you could go Adams. Then you come back and you reach a little bit, right. And your first pick of round four, you go Waller. And then you can still get Renfro as well if you wanted. And then you can get Carr. It's an easy team stack to make. You don't have to get all of them. Like you could just decide, you know, you just want to get two, right? Maybe it's Waller Renfro one draft, one draft is Renfro Adams, but I'm definitely going to try some of that. Um, and I think he's a good enough player. Like the talent profile is, is good enough as well. Like I still just want to at least be even with exposure, but I guess when I ask the question, like, you know, what's the scenario where I just absolutely, you know, regret taking Waller. It's not as strong as what it's been in previous years, because there's definitely a cap on what his targets can be at the ADP. You're having to spend Renfro you're getting for way less, right? Renfro's going to have the same cap problem, but you're getting him three rounds later than what you get Darren Waller. Now, the difference for Darren Waller is we know that tight ends, right, there's just not that many good ones. And if you can have one of the top ones, you know, it's it can be a positional advantage for you. So I think there's different arguments based on the positions that they play. But I expect to be at or maybe slightly below, below, below like exposure versus the field. But I, I won't be over, to your point, on Waller. Looking at a quick review of everything we just talked about, Derek Carr, Dwayne, I agree, upside QB2, probably one of the last quarterbacks you could feasibly draft in best ball like as your QB1, but then you would need to be looking at a three or four quarterback build. We like them. It's just there's other guys that have a more fantasy-friendly profile. But yes, right there in a tier with the Kirk Cousins and Matthew Staffords of the world. Josh Jacobs, Dwayne and I love Josh Jacobs, the football player. The real-life football player is great. Unfortunately, we're not projecting real life football player we're trying to project how they're going to be used and it just doesn't look like he's going to have the sort of pass game chops in this josh mcdaniel's offense to be more than a touchdown dependent rb2 yes there's a best case scenario where things could break right for him but he needs a lot more things to happen than many of the running backs we have ranked ahead of him none of the other backup running backs are looking like sure things if something happened to jacobs i just think it'd become an even more muddle committee than it might already be at wide receiver we are perfectly in line with Devonte adams wide receiver six hunter 
Renfro, probably out of everyone we talked about, the player we want to be most overweight on relative to their current ADP. We don't care about the other wide receivers. And finally, with Darren Waller, we agree, tight end five, tight end four. I he, He's right there in that same tier with Kittle, and I won't disagree with anyone that wants to bump him over. But yes, relative to past years, doesn't have that same sort of, you know, as the kids call it, league winning upside due to the potential, due to the lack of potential of him taking over the passing game. Sound about right, Dwayne. Yeah, sounds good. You know, I mean, you look at 2020, Waller had that 25% target share season, um, you know, 107 receptions, 1196 yards and nine touchdowns. Like, so I, I feel like now his ceiling is probably more like 90 receptions, maybe 1,050 yards, five touchdowns, you know, maybe six touchdowns, somewhere in there. Like, it's still a really good, that's a really good tight end season, though. Yeah. So that's that's what you've got to calculate is what's your what does Waller give you above replacement, right? So you're playing in a 12-team league, like the first replacement tight end is tight end 13. What's the difference between what you think Waller's going to give you in that? Um, and I haven't actually calculated that yet. It's something that I usually look at. But, but yeah, I think that was a good summary. All right, man. Let's go wrap up Las Vegas Raiders. We have the Los Angeles Chargers and the Denver Broncos still to come this week. Then we'll get over to the NFC West. These West divisions, man, just absolutely loaded. I know that's how you started off the podcast. How are we going to come off of this high? Like how are we like once we get through the NFC West? Marijuana, Twain. We're going to be bummed out. That's out. Okay. Before I get myself in more trouble, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back, you know, just basically every day. Love talking about football. Love talking about football with Dwayne. And we love the fact that you guys are here listening to us. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care. Bye.